From the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, this is The Middle of Everywhere, sharing stories about real people and real life at the U.S. Army's Premier Combat Training Center. I'm Cody Kozacek. When the bomb dropped, it was like we didn't see anything for the first few seconds. It was just a like an earthquake, the whole atoll just shook. That's Carl Duvall, a resident at the Veterans Home of California in Barstow. Carl is an atomic veteran, one of the thousands of service men and women involved in the United States nuclear weapons testing program. As a young Navy recruit in 1946, he was in the Marshall Islands during the nuclear tests at Bikini Atoll. Every year on Veterans Day, we as a nation stop to honor and remember men and women like Carl who have given everything to serve our country and preserve our freedoms. Service remains at the very core of our army. It's not just something you do, it's something you join. An entire way of life, a willingness to put others before yourself, a dedication to a higher ideal. In our episode today, we're celebrating all those who serve. We will hear more of Carl's story, but we will also hear from people who serve our community and our army in other ways. People like Barbara Ormsby, who sings karaoke at the Barstow Veterans Home, and people like E.J. Ane, a student athlete from Fort Irwin who has been honored for his excellence in the classroom, on the field, and in the community. Listen, be inspired, remember. First, here's Dave Dupree with a rundown of how you can get involved this Veterans Day. There will be a number of events in the high desert area on November 11th to celebrate and support our nation's veterans. The annual Veterans Day observance in Barstow will take place at Mountain View Cemetery at 11 a.m. The event will feature the Fort Irwin Rapper Team, Elena of the Reef, and guest speakers from the Fort Irwin and Marine Court Logistics Base, Barstow. Victorville will be hosting its 21st annual Veterans Day Parade beginning at 9 a.m. in Old Town. Prior to the parade, the Freedom Mile Run will start at 8.50 a.m. And immediately following the parade, the city will hold a Veterans Day ceremony, including a salute to Victorville veterans. A Veterans Day ceremony will also take place at the Sperio Lake Park Forum, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Organized say everyone is welcome, and they encourage the public, veterans and their family members, to attend. Also free and open to the public is a Veterans Day celebration at the General Patton Memorial Museum in Shiraco Summit at 11 a.m. This year, the ceremony will honor special guest Mr. Robert Nubuo Izumi, who served 60 years in the U.S. Armed Forces and was deployed during World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. And in Palm Spring, the 21st annual Palm Spring Veterans Day Parade will kick off downtown at 4 p.m. The parade is one of the largest in Southern California and concludes with a concert and fireworks. If you're looking to support the community in other ways, the Sergeant Audie Murphy Club here at Fort Irwin will be hosting a coat drive during the month of November and running until November 30th. Collection sites are located in the main exchange, the commissary, and the MWR building 1317. All donations will be given to Desert Mana Homeless Shelter in Barstow. And the 2916th is doing a Christmas toy drive to benefit Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. Collection boxes have been placed inside the Barstow Walmart near the customer service desk and inside the main exchange in front of the Old Petals and Bloom store. And that's your news update. You can find more details and stay posted on upcoming events by downloading the NTC mobile app, which is available from the Apple and Android app stores. Plenty of opportunities to show support for our veterans this weekend. And those ceremonies and parades and memorials are all really important. But what about the rest of the year? 
For Barbara Ormsby, making our veterans' lives a little brighter doesn't stop and start on November 11th. It's a year-round commitment, and she does it with two things sure to light up anyone's day, music and pie. Barbara first visited the home soon after it opened in 1996. She was performing as a singer at the time. I got out here and I started singing and I looked over and there was a man. He had one leg, one arm, and one eye. And when I got done singing, he was just sitting there. And so I went up and I said, would you like to dance? And he said, I can't dance. And I said, yes, you can. My brother was a paraplegic. I know what a wheelchair could do. So I grabbed his hand and I start dancing with him. And when I got done, I hugged him and he started crying. I go, honey, why are you crying? He said, do you know how long it's been since anyone's hugged me? Because they become invisible. And I just decided to start coming out here and I've been coming out since it was open. Since then, she and her group of friends and volunteers have become a fixture at the home. It was our kind of respite for me because I lived with my husband and my father and they were both disabled. My husband was disabled right after we'd been married. We've been married 40 years. So I, things got hard, but coming out here, I got overjoyed. I mean, they always made me feel good. So then my dad fell and he broke his, and so I, I put him in here. So then I'm here all the time. Before I was just coming out every, every once a month and doing karaoke. And then I had, we started having these chili cook-offs. We raised about $5,000 the first year. So that enabled me to come out because before I, I was only doing like, I was using my, my tips that I got to, to provide my money. And they started drying up. So by having that money from the chili cook-off, I was able to do, so once a month I do a bingo, a $250 bingo. $80 in gifts. I do paint classes we brought out here. We do the, the New Year's parties. We do all kinds of parties and, you know. So it's just, it's just having fun with them. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I brought 20 pies, right? I go down there and I order 20 pies. I bring 20 pies. I got some of each. And first two people that asked me for pie asked me for pecan pie and I did not get one pecan pie. I swear to God, if I was the only person that had a coupon for the winning number, I would get the wrong number. So why does she do it all? I asked her what Veterans Day means to her, and why she feels it is so important to honor veterans every day. Her answer was pretty simple. My freedom. If it was perfect example, at Christmas time they have these, they have the walk from quarter Run. And I sat there and I looked at the colonel and the colonel just had these young men walk in. You know, you see the, the guards, you see they have the World War I ambulances, they have the horses, they have the, all of them, the cavalry. And they walk in and everybody's, they're so sore and they're standing there and they want to go because we've got food, you can smell the food in here. And he said, no, attention, stand at attention, so they all step. And here's all these veterans standing around here applauding them. And he looked at them and he said, when you walk by, you don't look at them as they're invisible. 
He said, because if it wasn't for each and every woman sitting right here, you wouldn't be standing here because you would not have the freedom to have what you have right now. And that kind of, that kind of sunk in because if it wasn't for them, uh, we would not, we would not be here. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Freedom and service. Carl Duvall, like all veterans, has an acute sense of these words. But his experience is pretty unique, even among veterans. Earlier this week, he was kind enough to sit down with me at the Veterans Home of California in Barstow and share some of his story. It starts in 1945. World War II had just ended, and Carl was 17 years old. I originally was going to go join the Marines, and I went down to the recruiting office, and there was a pretty good line of people in there and waiting. And the Navy recruiting was next door. So while I was waiting, I went over and talked to them, (laughs) went to boot camp for 11 weeks in Great Lakes, Illinois. Uh, Come home on a seven-day leave, and I had pre-orders to go to, uh, at the end of my leave, to report to Lakehurst, New Jersey, which was a dirigible uh, training for uh, submarine patrol uh, against the German subs. And about a day before I was ready to leave, I got a telegram to report back to Great Lakes, Illinois. From there, Carl and his fellow sailors were taken on a troop train, crossing the Continental Divide on a seven-day journey to San Francisco. Then they boarded a troop transport, headed for Honolulu. When we got to Honolulu, We uh, stayed overnight there, and the next morning at Muster, they told a group of us to uh, move move over about five five or six steps type thing away from the other troops. And the other other, uh, guys, uh, we knew they were going to China. There wasn't any secret. It was just another port, you know. But uh, our, our case, why it was a, just top secret. Um, we didn't even know what the name of the ship was we were on. It just, there was nothing, n- no way to communicate or uh, they just didn't take any chances. They were bound for a small atoll, and a we talk in the Marshall Islands. I can't say it was beautiful other than the, than the ocean, uh, the sand. That's basically what the island was. There wasn't many palm trees on it. Uh, after we invaded it and took it all away from the Japanese, uh, there there wasn't many palm trees left. Most of them were, were around the operation tower, and the rest of the, of the atoll was uh, pretty barren. So it's all sand. We were put in the Seabee barracks with the Seabees, and. They told us the next morning to go down to the warehouse and get out of the Navy blues and get into the Seabees, wear CB uniforms. And that absolutely, we didn't know what was going on, what we were gonna be doing. They took our cameras away, they took our, they searched our barracks, uh, they took every, every way to communicate away. So, it, uh, in a year, 
I think I got one letter off to my mother. Carl was trained to use a six-wheeled road grader. My main job was on the airstrip, which was, uh, and we talk, was, is in a toll, uh, all coral, including the airstrip, which was built by the Japanese. And our job was to keep the corals smooth on the airstrip for the aircraft. And so then it started to come out that we were, uh, <clears throat> all the personnel, and the including the natives, would be evacuated from the island, and there would be 40 of us left on the atoll. And so uh, as soon as they got, they were all off the island, uh, that's uh, when all, it's all of a sudden it uh, started to hit us that uh, it's getting pretty quiet here. <laughs> they were finally told the mission, Operation Crossroads, which would include two nuclear bomb tests, Abel and Baker, one in the air over nearby Bikini Atoll, and the second, the first to be tested underwater. The operation was a critical test of the effects of nuclear bombs on naval fleets. Operation Crossroads was the first uh, atomic bomb test above and underwater, especially underwater, uh, right after, well, within a year after uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So I think a lot, I mean, there was people just uh, still recovering from the first, you know, the initial that bomb test that, that stopped the war, which saved, I think they programmed, uh, if we hadn't dropped those bombs, because there was a lot of criticism over that, that uh, over a million of us would have been killed, and I, I, I know I wouldn't be here, because they were gonna, they were gonna start us to training us in the amphibious forces, which are the ones that had to dry, uh, operate the landing craft to take the troops in to in, for the invasion type thing. So I, I, um, I've told my kids and a lot of people the same thing, that uh, it, it's easy to criticize, but you, you, didn't live, you, weren't, you weren't living back in that time to understand uh, what it meant if we didn't make the invasion, you know, drop the bombs and made the invasion. Once we found out what we were gonna be involved in, then it made a lot of difference. Um, everybody got cut with a program. So the day of the test, the um, captain on the island was in the operation tower and they had us all down at the end of the island, or at the tower, and he announced over the PA system that, that um, we didn't have any glasses, we had no um, hearing aids, we had nothing. They made us turn around and look the other way. However, when we we heard the first, we heard the the atoll start to shake, and then we heard the blast. It was the blast, and then then came the flash. After that, it was one, two, three, like that. And so we started to turn around after the we heard the blast. It was just an instinct that. You know, what's, have I got to start running or what, you know? But um, that's when uh, we saw the flash, you know, and that's when we shouldn't have turned around. But uh, 
it was really quick, you know, because it's right on the horizon type thing. And we were 90 miles away. So I'm going to give you that. It's, um, it's earth-shaking. <laughs> By the end of the year, the tests were completed, and Carl's unit was ordered back into Navy uniforms and sent to help rebuild Guam. Because of the secret nature of the mission, he was given no record of his time in the Pacific. Even when we went to Guam, which had nothing to do with the Operation Crossroads, um, they kept no records, never had no record of all of me and what I did on Guam or, or any of the rest of the guys as far as that goes because it was classified. So that was the type of thing that we had to contend with. After two years of active service in the Navy, Carl served four in the Navy Reserves and got on with his civilian life. He married, raised a family, and pursued a career in the cryogenics industry, working with companies that produced liquefied oxygen and eventually becoming a plant manager. But it wasn't until a year ago that he received official confirmation that he had served in the Marshall Islands. A lack of recognition can be one of the most painful experiences for veterans, especially because many are pretty quiet about their service to our country. Whether you're a soldier or Marine or sailor or Coast Guard or whatever, walking down the street, maybe on leave or whatever, uh, I think it is starting to turn, but it generally it's, it's people take you for granted. Uh, well, there's one, you know, I mean, there's thousands of them, they, but they don't, they don't even, they don't even realize um, what they're doing. Um, and over the years, I think they didn't care. I know when I came back from overseas on the ship, um, there was nobody there. The war was over. Carl says he thinks things are getting better, as more veterans tell their stories. And he says veterans always know other veterans. As for the men and women serving our country today, he encourages them to believe in themselves. Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, some people think, uh, look, maybe an officer or something or a, a master sergeant or something, whatever type of rank they might may be, um, that uh, I, I, I'll never get to be one of those. And the bottom line is uh, anybody can get to be one of those. You've got to believe in yourself to begin with. And that, that's for starters. And if the other guy can do it or the other gal can do it, you can do it. Today, we have Carl and the generations of veterans who came before and after him to thank for the freedoms we enjoy and often take for granted. But we also have people like Barbara Ormsby to thank for making our communities better every day. And we'll leave you with one other person who falls into that category, E.J. Ane, who is the subject of this week's Fort Irwin Community Profile. Ane is the son of Master Sergeant Ateru Ane and Mrs. Fiona Ane. He's a senior at Silver Valley High School in Barstow, and he was recently named a school winner by the National Wendy's High School Heisman Competition. The award recognizes student athletes who exemplify excellence in the classroom, on the field, and in their communities. For Ane, that means balancing school with football, his church, a part-time job at the commissary, and quality time with family and friends. Take a listen. My name is EJ Ane. I'm from Silver Valley High School, and uh, I think we got here around almost a year ago. 
uh, I think July, early July. So I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. And then after that, I think we moved to Washington. Washington, then my little sister was born there. Washington, then we lived in Fort Hood, Texas for about 10 years, 10 or 12 years. Then after that, that Fort Hood, Texas was when I was introduced to football. I think I started after watching one of my older, my older brother play and I actually really got into it. And then my parents signed me up for, uh, I think that this sports league for kids. We moved to Louisiana, and I finally played. Uh, finally played uh, high school football. It was a good experience there, and now we're here. It was pretty. I wouldn't say a, a lot of moving compared to other kids, but it was it was a good move. So, my uh, coach Myers, he told me to apply for it, and then I did, and I guess I ended up winning uh, for my area. So it was it, it's an it's a good honor. I feel blessed. It's crazy because I didn't know I won until um, I was walking around campus and I guess they uh, they had posted it on our school website. So all the teachers were just congratulating me and I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was because of our game. So I just said thank you. But then um, I actually met with my coach and he told me I had won. So it was a good feeling. I think my work ethic comes from both my parents' side. You know, they're all hard-driven workers. They uh, they won't stop until you know what needs to be get what needs to get done gets done. So I really get it from them. I really uh, leave everything with uh, with God. You know, he 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 guides me through whatever. But uh, really, I I I I owe it to my parents. They help me uh, keep me straight, and whatever I do, I always uh, ask them for help or guidance, and they always drive me in the right direction, so I thank them. You know, to know that people look up to you, I mean, I feel honored and blessed. Um, you know, stay focused and, you know, education is always first. Get your education and then everything will fall through after. So that's pretty much it, you know. Hard work, stay, you know, focused. And when, I guess you're having trouble, to always look for someone to, uh, help guide you through those things and obstacles. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for joining and listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe for free to the Middle of Everywhere podcast, available through the iTunes store. We will be back with our third episode on November 23rd. The Middle of Everywhere is a production of the NTC and Fort Irwin Public Affairs Office for informational purposes. It does not represent any endorsement, implied or actual, by the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, Fort Irwin, or the National Training Center.